Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So, AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So, welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to AccidentalMuslims.com and today we have a very special honor and very honored to have this man, Sheikh Dr. Yasser Qadi. Welcome. Assalamu alaikum, Zakallah for having me. It's Aid. Yes, alaikum salam to everybody. Welcome back, welcome to South Africa, welcome to Cape Town. Always a pleasure. Welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. Always a pleasure to come to South Africa, my first time to Cape Town. Okay, lovely. And my first time on Accidental Muslims as well. Alhamdulillah. So we're going to stump you. We always stump our guests with the first question Who is Yasser Qadi? (laughs) That is a multi layered question. That's why we ask it. Okay, Alhamdulillah. (laughs) I am a simple person, uh, sinful as well in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, I am a person who has many shortcomings and many faults. I ask Allah to cover those faults up. Uh, any respect that people have for me, it is because Allah has covered my faults from their eyes. So I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessings that he has given me. Um, very briefly, I was born uh, in Houston, Texas. My father came to America in the early 60s, one of the first uh, immigrant Muslims, he founded the first mosque of Houston. The, he founded the MSA and the Islamic Society of Greater Houston. So I was basically of the first generations basically born there. You know, Islam in America is a little bit later than it is in, in your part of the world. Uh, and when I grew up, uh, I did a degree in chemical engineering. I always felt that I needed, you know, so I wasn't happy with the khutbas and the durus. I mean, I wasn't happy with the level of scholarship. And I always felt an emptiness, like... I don't quite understand the Quran. I don't know, you know, what belief is, what fiqh is, and I felt an emptiness. And this, uh, in the early '90s, um, caused me to basically not pursue a career in chemical engineering. I left my career at Dow Chemical. I was worked there for a while, and I went to study overseas in the University of Medina. Uh, and Subhanallah, it was never ever my intention when I left to become somebody whom others call a sheikh or scholar. That wasn't even my on my agenda. It was not even something I thought about. Uh, it was just I wanted to learn my faith. But alhamdulillah, one thing led to another, and I spent the next 10 years in Medina. I did my bachelor's in hadith sciences, and then my master's in Islamic theology, aqidah. And uh, 9-11 happened, and I was in Medina. And that was a big political wake-up call for me. Like, where am I heading? What am I doing? What is my vision? What is my goal? Like, those deep questions of basically civilizational clash. And where is the world heading? These were questions I first thought about post 9-11. Before that, again, this is an innocent bubble. Like you're not really thinking about these deep questions. And that basically was an impetus for me to say, you know what? In the end of the day, I'm born and raised in the West. I'm a product of the West. My language is English. My culture and civilization is American Islam by and large. And I fit best in that civilization, not in East. Also, I'll be more productive in the West. So I decided to basically not pursue a PhD in Medina, I was initially planning to do that, and I would have been the first Westerner ever to graduate with a PhD in any Islamic sciences from Medina if I had pursued it. But I decided not to do that, and I returned back to uh, America. And Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed me to be accepted at Yale, which is a very, very uh, rigorous uh, program. Very, it's in a very intellectual climate, and it was very challenging for me to be there. Nonetheless, Alhamdulillah, it was an opportunity for me to academically grow uh, to levels I could not have possibly grown without that that ambience. 
And so alhamdulillah that I finished the PhD in Islamic studies from there. And along the way I started teaching and preaching and whatever else it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's in a nutshell, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, you just mentioned something and I just want to pick up on it. Many of the questions that people posted to us when they knew that we were interviewing you today was, how do local Muslims in the U.S., um, how do they find this balance between an American life and an Islamic life? Is it challenging? What challenges do you guys have over there? So there are many challenges, uh, and I would say the first challenge is a universal one regardless of where you are in the world, and that is to keep your spirituality high. This world is a world of materialism. This world is a world of sensual desires. This world is a world of pleasures. And it's no matter where you are in the world, you always have to rise above that and have a higher goal and purpose. And especially in America, as you know, it is the land of opportunity and the land of privilege. And, you know, so much material blessings are there such that even the lower class is considered to be upper class for the rest of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that the standards of living there. So I would say the greatest challenge is a universal one, and that is to maintain your spirituality and to maintain the, the otherworldliness. Like a real life is the next life, not this one. And to always be focused that make sure that we have a relationship with Allah, our prayers, our salah, our dhikr, our Quran. That has to be the number one priority. And it really gives meaning to our lives. To not be uh, basically persuaded to abandon the pursuit of the akhirah because we're pursuing this dunya. That is the number one challenge, I would say. And that's universal. There are specific challenges, I think, in America as well. And of them is we also have, I don't know if it's in South Africa or not, but I know that in America and in other Western countries, we have unfortunately the rise of uh, agnosticism amongst second, third generation Muslims, where they're doubting the faith now. They're just, they're absorbing the theological values of modernity and they are projecting them onto their faith tradition. And they're basically flirting with skepticism, atheism, agnosticism. So we have a new challenge that was unheard of in my generation. Like I was, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, nobody left the faith by and large back then. It was not something that we were concerned with. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, even if a person didn't pray, they believed. You know what I'm saying? But what we see of the next generation is, unfortunately, there's a, uh, a rise of, of, of irreligiosity of outright skepticism and rejection. And the reasons for this are obviously the societal, the societal theological problems, the uh, rise of new uh, militant atheism, secular humanism. And those born and raised in the 2000s and onwards, they're basically questioning with the same questions that we find the broader society. You know, we have, you know, Hitchens and Dawkins and, you know, Sam Harris and Bill Meyer. I mean, these are the people that are spreading these types of ideologies and our youth are absorbing them and they make sense to them. And unfortunately, many of our traditional ulama, they haven't quite been trained to answer these modern challenges. So when the youth go to them, they are dismissed, mocked, made fun of, told to shut up, don't question. And that's not good enough for the mind of, 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 of our times. So we need to get to the nitty-gritty and respond to the challenges of modern atheism. It's new age atheism, basically, which by and large you will not find the traditional textbooks of the theology. There's modern issues here. As well, the challenges of evolution and, and Darwinian uh, you know, uh, science where basically for the very first time in human history, there is a pseudo-alternative to belief in God because the ultimate question that people had who created us, they would always say, well, there must be a God. Well, with evolution, there's finally, quote-unquote, put that in brackets from their assumption, there's finally an alternative, which takes God out of the picture. 
as of yet, there has not been a systematic and holistic response from the believing world. There are attempts here and there. And even I, in my debates and discussions on, on, on the theory of evolution, even I have come to an impasse and said, look, I'm only speaking from a theological perspective. We need Muslim biologists. We need people with specialities in evolutionary biology to take on this challenge and come forth and help us. This is not the purview of ulama to speak about advanced biology. All I can do is say what the Quran tells us, you know, and try to... But in the end of the day, we need people to take on this challenge. And as far as I know, nobody has done a, 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 a solid job. They're having attempts, alhamdulillah. We're happy at that. But we still need to take this on. Anyway, that was... A, I don't know if that was what you wanted me perfect. to, but... Okay. Uh, I received a question from a female in, in Egypt. She asked... Um, do you believe that there's a need for female, a critical need for female scholarship? Not only is there a need, there is a sense of urgency that is unprecedented in Islamic history. Why? Because, and let me be very, very frank here, the rise of feminism has created a new set of challenges. Okay, we are only seeing the tip of the iceberg right now. And these challenges need to be addressed from within Islam as well. How much are we allowed to change our fiqh, our theology, our social mores? That's a question that not, no one person can answer. It's a very, very deep question that does not have a simplistic answer. There are aspects, and of course, when I say feminism, obviously even that is a loaded term. And even that, there's first wave, second wave, third wave. There's, there's multiple varieties of feminism and whatnot. And we need to be very frank here and say this is yet another intellectual challenge for modern Islam. Many of our sisters are grappling with this issue of how do we reconcile you know, what I believe to be true, for example, men and women are fully equal, versus the Quran saying things that perhaps, perhaps might potentially clash with that. Or other things. And as for the ahadith literature, you can go more and more. So what we see are that many of our sisters, they have... A number of, of you know alternatives of them is that they basically reject traditional Islam and they embrace a version of Islam that is by and large relatively new and it's not recognizable by mainstream conservative Muslims. You can call that feminist Islam, progressive Islam, liberal Islam, but it is becoming especially popular amongst our uh, basically uh, younger sisters and and and, and uh, you know daughters of the next generation. Uh, you also have those that are basically adopting an even more radical stance and they're basically saying well you know what even if the quran says x i don't care we need to upgrade we need to do and so they're basically explicitly almost sometimes even i've read myself a number of them they explicitly reject the quran and you know at some level instead of us just dismissing and criticizing and saying this is kufr this is bid'ah this issue instead of doing that let's understand from their paradigm why do they feel this way what exactly is going on? And the fact of the matter is there's actually quite a lot going on. And I, I tell the brothers who are so easily critical of this wave, I tell the brothers, just for a second, imagine if you were born a female and you had to live the life of a modern Muslimah, being told X, Y, and Z, being told there's no place for you in the masjid, being told your career is this and that. And you see the outer world, the non-Muslim world, progressing, quote-unquote, leaps and bounds. What would you do when you see the double standards between a brother and a sister in the same household and the brother is told this or the male is told this? What would, how would you feel? Perhaps you as well would react in a similar way. So rather than dismiss, and I'm very clear, I am not a feminist in any 
sense of the term, I believe that feminism is a modern ideology, and we as Muslims need to be critical of it, just like we're critical of liberalism and secularism and humanism and every other, other ism out there. We have our laws and our morality that comes from the Quran and Sunnah. At the same time, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are certain problems that come in modern society and in classical society that are genuinely problems. And we in our modern times do need to fine-tune, do need to acknowledge that our sisters have been given the shorter end of the stick, they've been given, they've been treated in a way that the Sharia does not want them to be treated. You know, they have been deprived of opportunities that are halal for them to do. So who is the best person to be at the forefront of this? It's not me, the bearded cleric. It is our sisters. And I encourage all of the sisters who are so inclined to, to firstly master the Sharia, study the Quran, study the Sunnah, study fiqh, study theology, and then go on and study the modern world, study secularism, liberalism, study feminism. I want our sisters who believe in the Quran to study these modern trends, but with a critical eye as well. Don't just swallow in hook, line, and sinker anything that modernity tells you. You know, because in the end of the day, we as Muslims have to think above the crowd. We cannot just be like sheep. Wherever everybody goes, we follow them. And brothers and sisters both, just like I just mentioned that brothers and boys and girls are basically uh, imbibing uh, the broader culture of agnosticism, atheism, so too they're absorbing values of morality, of sexuality, of feminism from modern society. So we need to be critical and challenge what needs to be challenged and accept the criticism where criticism needs to be accepted. Who's most qualified to do that? Not me. It is the sisters out there. And unless and until our sisters are role models for the next generation, who is going to be the role model for them? So yes, it is critical for our sisters to take on these challenges. And this means that we want them to educate themselves in the tradition and in modernity. Sheikh Domi, uh, part of our podcast, we, we, we like to aim it towards the youth. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have to the youth, or rather, let me put it this way, what excites you about the youth of today, um, if, if at all? <laughs> no, of course, there's always <laughs> positives to see. There's always positives to see. My advice to the youth of our times is to, again, as I said, moving on from the previous, previous point that I said, is to be critical. Understand that you are born at a certain time and place. And it's natural for you to absorb the values of the time and place. That's totally natural. As a Muslim, don't just absorb, but be critical. You know what the Quran tells us, and we all know this, growing up we heard this, and the Quran tells us that when the Prophet came to them and said to them, why are you worshipping these false gods? What did the Quraysh say? We found our forefathers doing this. We're going to do it as well. We found our forefathers. This is our culture and society. And we as children, when we heard these stories, we're like, my God, how, how ridiculous of an excuse is that? You're going to worship a false god simply because your forefathers didn't think there's only one God. But see, to our youth, I say, perhaps you as well have constructed these false gods that you are not challenging simply because your society has accepted them. Perhaps you as well have the same type of paradigm where you are accepting the status quo simply because your society accepted it, right? And those false gods are not constructed of wood and stones. They are concepts and ideas. They're concepts and ideas that everybody's preaching it, so you just absorb it. Whether they're to do with same sex or sexuality or morality or gender roles or feminism or liberalism or humanism, these are all the isms of our times 
that are essentially the equivalent of the false gods of the Quraysh. And when Islam comes along and says something other than what society says, our children repeat exactly that same line. Oh, but everybody believes this. And I encourage the youngsters to think about that famous story that we learned in, 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 in the kindergarten in you know, first, second grade, this famous story of the emperor with no clothes. You know, that, that, that the story there that everybody just assumes that if nobody's saying anything, then it must be correct, right? Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the problems that our youth have is that they are so enamored with modern civilization that they think that this is the end-all and be-all. And they do not see that modern civilization does have some huge deficits in its morality, in its compassion, in its focus and goal. Where is the spirituality? Where is the higher purpose of life? It is all about, you know, the carpe diem, live the moment. You only live once, right? This is like, just do it. That's the, the Nike for just do it. No, don't just do it. Is it worthwhile for you to do? Mm. Is it something constructive for you to do? Are you benefiting religiously, intellectually, spiritually, even physically? We don't just live for the moment. We don't do that. Because these moments are transient and you only have one life to live in this world. So my advice to the youth is to be critical. Be proud of who you are. There's nothing embarrassing about being a Muslim. On the contrary, there is nothing that is a greater blessing than for you to know who created you and what's your purpose in life and what's going to happen after you die. There's nothing more important than this. And alhamdulillah, as a Muslim, these big questions have been answered. So don't be embarrassed about your identity. Be proud in that respect. Not proud in an arrogant way, but proud in the sense, alhamdulillah, Allah bless me. And then discover that identity. Learn, study, ask questions, read the books, listen to lectures, and you will find, like I did, that Islam is a rich civilization. It's a deep heritage. I have a degree in chemical engineering. I'm not going to brag or boast. I was a valedictorian of my class. I have a very high SAT GRE. Alhamdulillah, straight A student. I am telling you, as somebody who has mastered Western education, that when I delved into the sciences of Islam, I found it to be just as intellectual, if not more so. I struggled more to master fiqh than I did to master advanced mathematics and partial differential equations. Because it was deeper, and it was so much more nuanced. So it's a deep civilization we have. Don't think it is a cursory level and just dismiss it. It's a beautiful religion with a, with a great heritage, masterful civilization. Read, study, educate yourself, and inshallah this will give you a sense of pride and also a sense of basically you're going to know how to, to, to take on these challenges of, of modernity. Sheikh, apparently you have a love for ice cream and coffee. <laughs> apparently so, yes. <laughs> I, plead, I plead guilty to these charges, these... these um, uh, these accusations are absolutely 100% true, and I am guilty as charged. I am a big connoisseur of ice cream and also a coffee aficionado. Uh, and uh, yes, I am guilty of, of this uh, <laughs> vice. <laughs> and your birthday is on the 1st of Jan, is it true? No, 30th okay. of January. So Wikipedia is wrong. Wikipedia is wrong, yes. Wikipedia is wrong. <laughs> it's not the only time it's been wrong. <laughs> Do you have any regrets in life? Any regrets in life? Obviously, every Muslim should regret the sins that they have committed. This is a part and parcel of being a, a, a Muslim. Um, in terms of my career path, in terms of what I've done, obviously, I mean, by and large, no. But at the same time, you have regrets that why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do? So in this in this regard, um, one can always think back and, 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 and figure out, you know what? I should have studied a little bit more here, should have done a little bit more there. One of the regrets I currently have is that I don't have time to write more. 
Uh, I am always talking, even now I'm talking. My YouTube videos are in the thousands, I think, now, and I'm just always lecturing. I regret that I can't say no to you guys or other people <laughs> and sit down in my room and type okay. and write. I used to produce more books. I have almost a dozen from back in the day. I haven't printed anything for the longest time because I'm always on my toes, literally talking. And I feel there is a need for that. I feel YouTube is great, but I think a lasting legacy has to be in writing. And I'm more and more being persuaded by my soul and by others as well that I need to cut back on the lecturing and just lock myself up in a room for a while and, and, and it's, it's turn something It's interesting you mentioned that as well. Sorry to interrupt you. So a lot of our youth and our modernity gravitates us towards videos and YouTube and you want to write books. Yeah, um, I, I, let me just say. As a legacy say, point, maybe take I, us to I, that. I feel, I feel that the internet has dumbed civilization down. And I think this is a palpable and tangible reality where we see that the information that used to be processed you know, in larger books is now being made into tweets, tweets and Twitter-sized bits. You know, if it's more than 140 characters, I can't understand it. You know, mm-hmm. even YouTube videos used to be longer. Now they went shorter and shorter, you know, quicker and quicker. And knowledge cannot be mastered in tweets. Mm-hmm. You cannot become a scholar via Facebook, via 15, 20-minute lectures. You know, and this is going to be a phase. And I think that people will realize that this is not the way forward for the true intellectual movers and shakers. Nothing changes that knowledge is found basically in the classical books and also in modern books as well. That's where knowledge can be. You can express yourself. You can you can write out to a very advanced level that cannot be done in lectures. It cannot be done. No matter what you say in a lecture, you cannot even absorb as much as you absorb when you read. It is well known that what you read, you will absorb more than what you listen to. So from every perspective that you want to preserve the legacy, you know, you want to pass it down, you want to write in a more advanced level, you want people to understand, all of this is in the books. Okay, two more questions while I respect your time. What is your favorite Quranic verse? I know it's a, it's a difficult one. That is a very difficult one, Wallahi, because there are many favorite verses. Um, I have multiple uh, of them. Uh, is uh, uh, I resonate with this verse because I feel that all the time we are in dhulumat ourselves and our sins and the people around us we are in dhulumat and so I'm always reminded of Yunus and the whale so this is one of my favorite verses uh, of them as well is the end of Surah Al-Hijr uh, we know that your heart will be hurt at what the people are saying. You know, as a da'i, you are always going to be attacked. And sometimes the attacks really hurt. And anybody who says that words don't hurt him is lying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words also hurt. And sometimes words hurt more than physical pain especially when the accusations are very false, very evil, and especially when they're coming from fellow Muslims. And I've had to face with this throughout my life, alhamdulillah, since, since I became active, since Medina days and whatnot. This is a reality that people will say very nasty and evil things. And it does hurt when practicing good Muslims, when they smear you with some very dirty smears, like, you know, he doesn't care about the Muslims, he's working for the government, this and that. These are the standard accusations that happen, you know. SubhanAllah, I try to defend in my own way, in, in, through my actions, not through 
I never try to respond directly to critics because that's not productive. But still, critics continue. So it is hurtful. So the Prophet was infinitely better than me. And the smears against him were far worse than against me. And Allah is telling him, we know that it hurts, Ya Rasulullah. We know your heart is in pain. What is the solution? Do the tasbih. Be amongst those who do sajda. Continue worshipping Allah until death comes to you. So your solace and comfort will not be found in men. It will be found in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these verses, they, they help me out. Well, I wasn't going to ask this question, but for the viewers out there, for the listeners there, uh, we can see the excitement that's on your face, Sheikh, when you're talking about Quran. So maybe I'm just going to ask you this question. Say, what excites you about Quran? What advice can you give us, our youth out there, to draw themselves closer to Quran? There is nothing that will satisfy your spirituality like the reading and the listening of the Quran. Any doubts you have of a pseudo-intellectual nature, see, this is one of our problems, is that we aggrandize the mind. We consider rationality to be the sole mechanism of arriving at the truth. And rationality is but one faculty out of many. And sometimes it is right and sometimes it is wrong. How many times did we ourselves undertake a rational decision that we thought is the most logical, only to realize and discover that was a dumb decision I made? We see this in our own lives. Yet, you know, philosophers, and of course, this is a this is something that is a 17th, 18th, 19th, or these days, especially where, where you have now postmodernism. You know, these these views are antiquated, that enlightenment views of the mind being the ultimate. These days, modern philosophers understand it's not everything is subjective. My point is, I'm kind of straight from that. You need to be spiritually fulfilled. And sometimes a a, a intellectual doubt cannot fully be solved intellectually. It only can be partially solved intellectually. And in order to, to overcome that, you need spirituality as well. And the peace that comes via the worship of Allah, the peace that comes from listening to the Qur'an, the peace that comes reading the Qur'an, you know that Islam is true. And I've said this many times. Some people, and sometimes in academia, when they hear me talk, they're like, why are you still a Muslim? Like, why are you still a Muslim? What, what, how do you know Islam is true? And immediately, without a moment's hesitation, the Qur'an. The Qur'an, that's all I need. I know Islam is true because this book could not have been composed by a man. The impact of this book on the human soul and psyche, it is something that can only happen in the realm of the divine. You feel it, you sense it, you live it, you smell it, you taste it. That impact that the Qur'an has on the soul cannot be replicated by a million books of philosophy. You will be spiritually empty. The Qur'an will be that fulfillment. So my advice is that never ever forget that you as a human being, yes, you have one aspect of rationality, but you also have another aspect. It's called the soul. It's called the ruh. And you are human because of the combination of the ruh and the aql. This is what makes you human. And the body. We have three components, right? The body, the, the, the soul, and the mind. These three all need to be taken care of. The body has needs and functions. The mind has needs and functions. Modernity has neglected that the soul has needs and functions as well. So you need to feed the soul, even as you feed the body and you feed the mind. And the soul is fed via what? Via the worship of Allah overall. And number one, via the Quran. We are out of time, Sheikh. Our last question we always ask our guests. <laughs> Today's the last day. You're going to die. But you only have enough energy to say, 
I will say to them exactly what the Prophet said that if you hear, uh, if one of you is alive and you have in your hand a sapling, a seed, and you hear the trumpet blow, then plant the seed before you die. So the point is. Do whatever you can, wherever you are, with whatever you have. That's all Allah asks of you. Just do something positive. Leave the rest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh, thank you for honoring us with your presence. Thank you for sharing with us. And I have no doubt our listeners will take benefit from it. Thank you for having me. to put barakah in this trip of yours so that Africa can benefit from your learnings, your teachings, alhamdulillah. And Allah keep you safe and healthy and enjoy. And when you come back to Cape Town, we'll take you for coffee. Inshallah. And, and, uh, and I ice cream. So that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember feedback is our oxygen so follow us on social media we are on facebook instagram and twitter i hope you enjoyed god bless assalamu alaikum